Welcome back. It's episode 116 of Podcast Royal. And for our U.S. listeners, happy belated Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. I ate all the traditional American Thanksgiving food and spent some time with family and it officially feels like the Christmas season. How was yours? Know. I know my mom has her Christmas tree up. So it was good. You know what? I love, okay, this is I'm not ashamed of this anymore because who cares, but I just am not a huge turkey fan. And so on Thanksgiving, so I didn't even have turkey this Thanksgiving. I just did the sides like all the way I had. My mom makes the best creamed corn in the world. Like that is probably one of like my top three favorite dishes not just for Thanksgiving, but period. It's so good. So I had cream corn, green beans. Uh, why am I telling you all this? Who cares? But hash brown, all the, all the sides basically, <laughs> but no, but no Turkey. And I let myself have a slice of pecan pie and, Ooh, I like, I love pecan pie, pecan pie and coconut cream pie are my favorites and key lime. I don't, I, again, I don't know why I'm going down this rabbit hole, but I, I ate well, we'll just say that. Well, I am happy to report the day after Thanksgiving, my mom and I for lunch made a Christmas sandwich a la pretty. Yeah, I did. I jokingly told Rachel we should get on our Instagram live and make it for our followers. But and uh, I said you should do it, and I wasn't joking. I meant it. It was so good. So we did, um, my mom had purchased a loaf of rosemary bread. So we had rosemary bread and dressing and turkey and cranberry sauce. And we added some onions and mayo and it was delightful. It was Mm. a very good Christmas sandwich. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I wasn't kidding, by the way, you should get on and do a live. That would be fun. Just saying. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll come up with something festive to do and we'll do it one day. It's the holidays. So we should totally do that. And um, again, listeners that are in the U S we hope you had a good holiday. So a really quick housekeeping note before we get into it, we are going to be off next week, but we will be back for the episode that drops on December 13th. So if you're wondering where we are in your feed next week, that is because we are taking the week off. So we will be back on December 13th. Yes. And speaking of Instagram lives, I know one thing that we could do on Instagram that is related to our bit of British segment today. So do you want to get into that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I know last week I said I was really excited about bit of British last week, but I'm also really excited about this week's and it might be because it's officially the Christmas season. And I have a lot of personal memories from the British tradition that we're going to talk about today. So are you ready, Rachel? I'm ready. I don't know what to expect, but I'm ready. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about Christmas crackers. And so I have to ask you, have you ever pulled a Christmas cracker? I'm probably going to lose any credibility I have with our UK listeners, but I don't really know what a Christmas cracker is. Well, as an American, you're not alone. I'm actually surprised how many people don't know. But I I do feel like Christmas crackers have grown in popularity in the U.S. I mean, I feel like I see them everywhere I go during the holiday season now, but they are a very British tradition and something that my family has done on Christmas Day ever since I can remember. And I feel like this is something that we could we could pull some Christmas crackers on an Instagram live one day. And I I think that would be fun. But explain to me what you mean by pull a Christmas cracker. I'm I'm about to to tell you about it. (laughs) 
Okay, so tell me everything. I, I'm positive our Anglophile listeners are very familiar with these. And, and are shuddering at me, the fool that doesn't know what a Christmas cracker <laughs> is. But now I will after this segment, so. So if you don't know, like Rachel, a Christmas cracker, it looks sort of like a short uh, little tube. It's like a little cardboard tube about the size of an empty toilet paper roll. And it's wrapped in colorful Christmas paper, twisted at either end, sort of like a little candy wrapping. Mm -hmm. And at your Christmas gathering, you pass out the Christmas crackers to be popped open. And so the way it works is one person will hold one end of the Christmas cracker and one person will hold the other end and you pull your end and you'll hear like this pop, this loud, like bang sound, and it'll break the Christmas cracker open. One person is left with a, just like a short torn little piece of paper. And the other person is left with the tube and what's inside the tube. Mm. So I feel like I've seen some people that they like cross their arms and pull the crackers. We don't do that. We, we just pull either end. But how do I how do I not know what this is? Like I feel like this is a massive Christmas tradition, and I don't know. I've I mean I think I have heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. And you can get them like I've seen them at Costco. I've seen them at like TJ Maxx and different places. Um, but if you don't know what they are, you wouldn't know to look for them, I guess. But let, okay, so let's talk about what's on the inside. So inside the cracker, you will have a little paper hat or a crown for your head. And they're made out of tissue paper. They're different colors. And then you'll have some sort of a little trinket or a toy and a slip of paper with a joke written on it. And the jokes are really, really bad, but they're so bad. They're funny. You like will definitely laugh. jokes, like the super corny ones. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, again, I don't know what everyone does, but in our family, we usually have enough where everyone can pull a Christmas cracker and end up with a paper crown. So even if you get the short end, you can pull another one and everybody wears their crown and it's fun to take pictures in them. And it's just one of my favorite Christmas traditions. And I think it's something, if you've never done it before, you should definitely go buy a box of crackers and, and have them this year. I'm into it. I, I love the holidays. So I was really in the holiday spirit last year. I hadn't been a couple of years before that, but um, I'm all for a new Christmas tradition. <laughs> okay. So I, you know, I have a lot of memories with these, but I really didn't know much about the history of them until recently. So I was looking online and thought that would be kind of fun to share here. So from what I've read, they date back to the mid 1800s during the Victorian days. And I mean, really what traditions don't date back to the Victorian times, I feel Mm -hmm. like they they Mm -hmm. sort of all come from there. But there was a man by the name of Tom Smith, who was a confectioner. And on a trip to Paris, he saw French bonbons in these beautiful wrapping, and he was inspired to begin selling almond bonbons in London. So he would package the bonbons wrapped in the nice paper and they would be twisted closed. And then eventually he started including a little saying in with the bonbons. And I guess it became a trend, but men would often buy them as gifts for women. So the little saying inside was usually like a romantic poem, like a short little poem. Mm-hmm. And I guess some time went by and one evening he was sitting by the fire and he was really inspired by the crackling of the wood on the fire. 
So he started wrapping the bonbons with a little piece inside that would make this little popping bang noise when they were torn open. And then on the inside, you'd have your little almond bonbons. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would love to have that as a gift. That would be so much fun. Absolutely. This whole thing (laughs) is cool. I feel like I've really been missing out for 37 years. (laughs) So eventually the bonbons were replaced with the small gift in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s. And then um, the crackers started having the paper hat inside. And then shortly after that, the poem was replaced with a joke and people would buy these for special occasions or big events. So think like the coronation, you might have crackers there. And then over time, it just became a popular Christmas tradition. And I actually read online that the royal family has crackers made for them still today. And it got me wondering what in the world would they put inside of a royal family Christmas cracker? And I was thinking to myself, how fun would it be to pop that open and find like a crown jewel inside or a casual. ruby casual <laughs> a I'm sure they don't, but... wouldn't be able to find it wouldn't be that big but yeah something <laughs> of the sort well anyway so that's a little history about Christmas crackers and it is early enough in the Christmas season if you do want to go out and get some you can definitely still find them in stores and you can actually make your own so if you start collecting toilet paper rolls and you want to get crafty you could you could DIY it I've never done that before we always get the store bought but hopefully we'll have some listeners that go out and buy it and maybe send us a picture or something yeah. if if you like doing these that would be fun how fun! So hey, a bit of British is awesome because I mean, I, I, I guess I consider. I mean, I probably can't consider myself an Anglophile anymore after today. But um, I, I, there's so much I have to learn, and that's why I love this segment. <laughs> well, good. I enjoy talking about it, and I've been holding on to that segment, that the one about Christmas crackers, for a few weeks now, waiting for the right time. So mm-hmm. I think this week is it. I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, let's go ahead and get into. The Royal Rundown, we've got a few things to catch up on this week. So real quick, we did say last week that Prince Edward was traveling to New Zealand and Australia and Indonesia. Just to revisit that real quick, that was for the 60th anniversary of the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. As a reminder, that award has been around since 1956 when Prince Philip founded it, and it does recognize young people making an impact in their communities through things like sports and volunteering. So he started his trip in Auckland, New Zealand at Blue Light, and that's an organization that works with the award. He met with young people there, and then he also joined a group of young people competing and a 10-day sailing trip, and he participated in some boating activities on that trip. And I think as we were recording last week, he was in Australia, and he was learning about youth participation and emergency volunteering. From that engagement, he left and went to Indonesia on Friday the 24th, where he met alumni of the award, and he visited the British school Jakarta. So pretty eventful week for Prince Edward. I just wanted to recap that again, because we did tease it last week a little bit. It still makes me like deliriously happy, like really, really happy that Prince Edward is the Duke of Edinburgh. Like it just, you know, we waited for that for a lot. He waited for that for a long time. And I'm just glad that because it, it just feels right. So sometimes a lot of the royal family do not feel right, but this feels right. So that makes me happy. 
Well, and we know it was something Prince Philip wanted, and it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done in that role. So someone needed to take it on. Yeah. And Edward's great. He's He's been a loyal working royal for a very long time. I think since 2002 or three, I talked about it in the Royal Deep Dive on them and just seems to be like really well suited for the role. So this is like, I love amidst all the other drama and we're not really going to go into the end game of it all. We mentioned the book on a prior episode and you can read it if you want or don't, if you don't want to, but with all of that going on, Edward and Sophie are just such a breath of fresh air. It's just so nice to have a corner of the family that's non-dramatic. Definitely. Well, speaking of other members of the family, let's talk a little bit about the Yorks. I feel like they've been out and about lately and we've got some updates on them. So if you are like Rachel and I, you probably spent at least some of your Thanksgiving break listening to the Table Manners podcast. And this was such a fun podcast. So Eugenie was a guest last week. If you've never heard it, go check it out. And she did a pretty revealing interview. I know, Rachel, we talked about how we were surprised how much information she shared. I know. I never thought that I would know how to, like, how they get takeaway at Kensington Palace. Like, she really, I mean, she really went there. Like, she really was incredibly candid. And, you know, I appreciated her vulnerability about, you know, her body image issues. And just, it was a great interview. Listeners, if you have not listened to the Table Manners podcast with Eugenie, you should. It's a really, it's a really interesting listen. Yeah. And, you know, she did, you talked about the body image um, issues that she struggled with. So she talked about how hard it was to shake the baby weight after she gave birth to August and May. Um, She talked about growing up in the spotlight with a focus on her appearance. And she also talked about how, you know, they live half of the year in Portugal and no one there really cares that she's a princess and she likes it that way. I also liked hearing her talk about the dinner rules when they were children. She mentioned that when she ate with her grandmother, the queen, she would, after her meal, she would have to say, you know, thank you. That was very good. And she would have to ask to excuse herself from the table. And then you mentioned, Rachel, she also told us that when she and Jack are at Kensington Palace, when they order food for delivery... They just put their pajamas on and jump in the car and ride down and pick it up from the delivery person. And we had a conversation like, okay, I guess Eugenie and Jack can do that, but there's no way that William and Kate can just do that, right? Like, for, like I mean, I don't know, but it's so interesting. Like just a glimpse. You, just, I mean, I certainly would never say I know everything about what's behind the palace walls. I would never be that cocky, but just to, you know, just when you think you know most basic things I had no idea like I mean you assume that private secretaries or whoever are are doing that for them but she just is so relatable is what she is and I just enjoy it yeah I mean I think we imagine a much more formal setup behind the palace walls and maybe there are rules in place but it sounds like they have a lot of freedom to kind of do what they want to do if they want to you know, just throw on their PJs and run out and get their food. No one's going to tell them no. And and to your point, I'm sure there are some royals that that's maybe discouraged just for mm-hmm. safety reasons. But I love that she's able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the York sisters, we learned this week from actually from Edo's stepfather that Edo and Beatrice once gave Queen Elizabeth such a thoughtful gift. We're not going to stay here for long, but um, David Williams Ellis is Edo's stepfather. He is also a sculptor and the Mapelli Motsis once gave her late majesty a sculpture of the late queen and a horse. I mean, I just think stuff like that, especially as we're in gifting season right now, just, I love a good thoughtful gift. And it sounds like 
you know, they, and there's obviously pictures of the sculpture out there, which you can look at listeners. And it's just, you know, I just love hearing about the York sisters. I'm, I'm unabashed in my fandom of these women and, um, and their mom as well. And so I just, I just really am enjoying Eugenie and Beatrice right now. Yeah, that, that's a sweet story. I'm glad you mentioned that. And and I do think Beatrice was very close with her grandmother. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just so much from the sentimental touches in her wedding and, you know, to other things that kind of just highlight their relationship. So that's a really cute story. Yeah. And while we are learning all of this information about the York ladies, this is something I wanted to mention last episode, but we were kind of short on time, so I didn't get it in. But Rachel, did you see that Fergie was on an episode of This Morning last week? If I'm not mistaken, isn't she like going to be a regular now? Like I thought that she was at least in under consideration to be a regular host or a co-host or something like that on the show. Yeah, I, I have not heard for sure if she'll be a regular, but I did see she co-hosted an episode and here's a fun connection. So one of the ho- the co-hosts of this morning is Allison Hammond, who is also a host on this season of The Great British Bake Off, one of my favorite shows. I remember and- Allison Hammond because she was at some engagement with William and Kate and Kate was like extremely candid with her like more unguarded than she normally is with journalists oh, wow. and and that makes sense because probably because of you know the great British bake-off connection just you feel like you know this person so <laughs> well I did see a few clips from the this morning episode with Fergie and it looks like there were a lot of laughs on the show she actually participated in a segment where viewers called in to get relationship advice from her and she told one of the callers she said uh, an element of surprise will bring the magic back into your relationship. So very mm, interesting. That's, yeah. That's just interesting in the context of like, we don't really know what's going on in her relationship <laughs> or non-relationship with Andrew and interesting. <laughs> yeah. is also, yeah. so you want to talk about someone who's been candid, like on tea talks and on just everywhere. I mean, I love it, you know, bring it on, but it's just, gosh, there's, it's it's there I could can't you feel the sea change since her late majesty died like I feel like people are really being a lot more open and vulnerable and candid and sharing more than I think they ever have actually now that you mentioned this we're getting a little off topic here but you know I feel like there were a lot of rules discussed a few years ago around the royals fashion Mm -hmm. And remember we saw the princess of Wales last week in the red cape dress and she, you could see her leg. And I thought about this after the fact, it didn't look like she was wearing pantyhose. And normally when she was out, you know, prior, you know, when queen Elizabeth was still on the throne, she always wore them. So And Kate wearing the red nails to Easter. And I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think I've jokingly said this before, but you know, there's no precedent any, like, I'm not aware of that King Charles has like, you know, the way he does his nails, like he doesn't, he prefers ballet slippers, you know, I'm obviously (laughs) joking, but like things have changed, you know? And, um, I think there's, I, I don't know. I mean, this is certainly not a knock to Queen Elizabeth who, if you've ever listened to the show, I adored and still do adore, but it just feels like 
there's a whole lot, there's just more freedom now. I think like it's not, it's not as rule bound as it was. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't really know, but it just feels like it feels a little bit more, slightly more casual, I guess, if that makes sense. For sure. Well, one other thing I did want to mention here, I saw a photo of Princess Eugenie at the Formula One in Abu Dhabi the other day. Did you see that photo? I did. There were a lot. So I actually just wrote a story (laughs) today about Priyanka Chopra was there and she had this really cool um, pattern, like pink and black dress on. And there were a lot of celebrities there. Naomi Campbell was there. Yeah. Okay. On and on and on. So I was going to mention that I saw a photo. She and Jack were there with a group and I immediately, immediately was like, wait a minute. I know the girl sitting next to Eugenie with her arm around her. And I don't know if you saw that specific one I'm talking about, but it was Jerry Hallowell from the Spice Girls. I know who like turns up everywhere. Who was okay. Now that, now that we're talking about, I would have known this five minutes ago, but, um, Oh, I think it was it Harry. I mean, Jerry Hollywood, they, she has a lot of connections to the, I mean, you know, she is a spice girl. So I think that she was recently talking was, it was either William or Harry. I can't remember, but I love the spice girls and I'm just going to put this out there in the universe. I want them to go on tour so bad because (laughs) I never got to see them in the nineties and I want to see them now. So I'm just putting that out, that ask out there, please make that happen. Somebody. We need a reunion tour for sure. Yes, we really do. Well, let's talk about William and Kate and some of their engagements this past week. You know, actually, I feel like we have a little bit of a lighter lift. This does it, does it feel a little bit lighter to you? It does to me. For sure. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I don't know. I it just does, and so that's not a bad thing. But anyway, as many of us, at least in the U.S., were off the back half of last week for Thanksgiving. William and Kate were at work, and just as his wife did not too long ago, William made his camo debut as Colonel in Chief of the American Regiment, a title he was given by his father, King Charles, back in August. So while he was there, William was given a briefing on the work of the regiment and what they're doing to prepare for a mission next year, which will see the 12th Armored Brigade Combat Team deployed to Poland. So this really resonated with William because if you remember, he visited British troops based in Poland back in March. That was kind of under the radar visit, but I still remember it happening. So William's visit was on Thursday. And then on Friday, Kate stepped out to a baby bank called Sebi's Corner ahead of the holiday season. She brought along a special gift for Sebi's to give to families, a favorite book of her kids. So listeners, if you want a royal child inspired book, Mm -hmm. The Owl Who Was Afraid of the Dark, which I feel like Kate has read somewhere before I can't children's story time or whatever it's called she brought along 50 copies to share of the book and the book the plot of the book the loose plot of the book is a baby barn owl is on an adventure to overcome a fear of the dark so if, if listeners if you're looking for a gift to give someone who loves the royals that has young kids or if you have young kids the owl who is afraid of the dark is your children's book club pick I love that. I want to read that. I do too, actually. I've never read it. So let's also talk about a very rare British royal family, royals around the world cross. I say very rare. It's not that rare, but it happens, but it doesn't happen all the time. So it was announced last Thursday that William and Kate will go on a quote unquote double date with (laughs) Sweden's crown princess Victoria and her husband Daniel to the royal variety performance. So 
the performance is actually happening on this Thursday, November 30th. So that's tomorrow because this episode comes out on the 29th and it will feature none other than Cher, who is also someone I would love to see live. So that is going to be a great show. And that performance is going to be at Royal Albert Hall. They, some, some member of the Royal family always goes to this performance every year. I guess it's William and Kate's year and they're going to up the ante and have Victoria and Daniel there. So that's a fun crossover. That sounds like a lot of fun. I wonder when you do a royal double date, do you go out to dinner first? Like maybe private <laughs> reservations know. somewhere? Or do you have dinner? Uh, do you have takeaway brought to you at Kensington Palace and you have to go out and get it in your pajamas? I'm just kidding. But I feel like there's somewhere in London that has secret reservations for their double date that we don't know about, but they're, yeah. you know, or they, or they're having it go. brought into Adelaide. Con- I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, so we do have a little bit of a lighter lift this week, which is going to allow us to talk about The Crown season six. So we mentioned it last week. We watched it. Listeners, if you haven't watched, it's only four episodes. So if you haven't watched it yet with the holiday and everything, then we can't help you. So if you want to <laughs> fast forward through this next little bit, there's going to, I mean, what's the spoiler, right? Like Princess Diana passes away. Like that's a spoiler. Like, so we know what's going to happen, but this season is season six, which of course is the final season of The Crown is only halfway over. So I think we should keep the remarks relatively brief. And again, spoiler warning that if you've not watched the first four episodes of the final season, which came out on November 16th, stop listening now, fast forward a couple minutes. And, um, okay. What are my overall thoughts on the crown? I, I know it's getting a lot of criticism, but I mean, people just love to be critics. My overall thoughts were that it was handled as appropriately as it could be handled based off of the very sensitive nature of the subject. I know that the show is getting some blowback. There's really no easy way to talk about this topic. It was like, I will say in a minute that I was in tears within the first three minutes. I wasn't expecting that. And I'm not a huge crier. I mean, I cry sometimes, but I'm not like a, oh my God, weepy at everything. And I will say that the show took some serious creative license, mostly surrounding how serious Dodie and Diana were. Keep in mind that when they died, they only had known each other for about six weeks. And Diana told a friend that she needed another marriage, like she needed a rash on her face. So this was, this was not like, I do not think that this was the overblown love story that the show is kind of, it was, it, I feel like it was, I mean, I wasn't there obviously, but I feel like it was a fun fling. And we'll never know what would have happened after the summer ended. But I mean, again, all told, they'd known each other for such a short amount of time. And so I guess just I'll run down a couple of brief thoughts from me. And then I want to obviously hear your thoughts because you've watched the episodes as well. So hmm. um, the, the first scene. So the show kept true to its promise that we did not see the crash, but we heard it, of course. And it was a very jarring opening scene and as I said I was in tears with within the first three minutes of the show and I cried more than once throughout the episodes and I know that Charles and Camilla in the 90s were not perceived as you know they were not they were not liked we'll just say that but I'll tell you what we all deserve to be loved the way Charles loves Camilla like at her birthday party when he was saying those remarks about her I mean I've said this once I've said it a million times that's a love story. Whether you like it or not, they are deeply in love and they probably don't at this point, don't care what anybody thinks about them because they're in love. But on the flip side of that, what Dodie did to Kelly, what a jerk. Like what, like, I mean, granted, I know that 
I mean, and this is all like creative license of the show, but I just, I mean, I want to interview her. I want to interview Kelly. I wonder if she's even doing interviews because that, that is just imagine like picking up the tabloids and your boyfriend or your fiance, I guess is cavorting with princess Diana and, you know, and you're getting married in a couple of weeks. That's yeah. That had to be really tough for her. That's awful. Well, and then I think it's the end of episode one. Um, this is probably just like a throwaway detail, but Dodie sends a piece of jewelry to Diana and it says Paris next week. And it's just so foreboding because of course, you know, what's going to happen in Paris. She doesn't at that time, by the way, I think Elizabeth Debicki did a great job. I think really everyone did a great job. Um, I, so I'm just breezing through this and, uh, and I know you'll say your thoughts in a second, but I thought it was cool how we got to kind of like how they handled like meeting the photographers in episode two. And I just thought that was interesting. And by the way, this show is so overly generous and kind to Charles, like to the point where it's like weird that, that it's that kind to Charles. And I mean, not that, you know, he deserves vitriol or anything, but I just feel like they're very forgiving. And, you know, I mean, I even think the queen, like queen Elizabeth got more flack and was painted more poorly than the, than Charles I almost called him the king he was Prince Charles then of course then Charles was I just think that do you notice that like how, they're yes. just really yeah. favorable to him and it's kind of weird because I mean I don't know what why I mean just if you're going to do this show be objective you know but um obviously I've never been chased by paparazzi but the show really did capture how terrifying it must have been to be Diana all the time with the paparazzi chasing you at every turn the show really sets it up to be, there's only one way this could really end. And, you know, again, the show does take some fictional license. I don't think that Dodie was going to propose. I do think that he did, he did buy her that ring, but I don't think it was an engagement ring. In fact, if you've actually seen that ring in real life, it's, it's a hideous ring. Like I, like I would be embarrassed to present that to the princess of Wales, to Diana and propose to her. It's very gaudy and garish and just, I, I, it was probably a token of affection, but I do not think it was an engagement ring. And then, of course, that last phone call with the boys and just all the build up to the crash. You know, it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen. It's just like that sinking feeling where you're watching it kind of in slow motion. And the scenes where Charles, the character of Charles Dominic West was crying. Um, it's just and that's true. That is true that he was very Charles was very emotional. And despite the fact that. Of course, there was some contention between Charles and Diana. He's still, I mean, that's still the mother of his children, you know, and just the, the, I guess the thought I'll close on is the ghost scene. So I did not know, and this is a may, I guess a major spoiler, but so there were two Diana ghost scenes, one with Charles, one with the queen. And then there was a Dodie ghost scene, which I, I knew there was going to be a Diana ghost scene. I don't, I don't think I knew that there was going to be a Dodie ghost scene. They were not, it was weird, but it wasn't as weird as I thought it would be. I think it could have done without it, but um, it wasn't like cringy to me. I overall thought it was fine. Um, I didn't have any major problems with it. Obviously the show is taking its creative license. I still wish that the show would do the disclaimer that it is, you know, it's based in fact, but it has, it does take creative license, but I'm just really excited to see 
Like I'm really excited to see the second half. And I want to see, you know, I, I did see today actually that they are going to show this scene. They showed a clip of it. The Kate modeling the sheer dress down the catwalk scene. Oh, that- really? I haven't seen that. Yes. And that's going to be in there. And so I cannot wait. It's going to cut off in 2005. We know that for sure. So I can't wait to see how we jump from September of 1997 to 2005. So, okay. What did you think? So a lot of what I'm going to say kind of echoes what you've said. Um, I, I do think when a show does episodes that are from current times that people can remember events that happen, they are really opening themselves up to criticism because people maybe sort of know more of the facts or have their own ideas from from when that happened. So I could see where some of the criticism could be coming from there. But as I mentioned last week, I really liked the way they released only four episodes to start. I thought it made it easier to digest. I didn't feel overwhelmed having to sit down and watch, you know, many, many hours of potentially heavy content. I will Um, say one really quick interjection. Sorry to interrupt you, but I do want to say this before I forget it. I could, I think I said on the last episode, I couldn't have handled more than four episodes. I needed it cut off then. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think everyone was anticipating something heavy. And so just the thought of sitting down to that could have felt really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But on the topic of heavy content, I also, to your point, thought they did a good job of keeping the episodes as enjoyable as possible or, or appropriate. And I felt like they kind of dived into different storylines, you know, to distract from the more difficult part of mm-hmm. what we were anticipating. So I appreciated that. I also agree they painted Charles in a very favorable light. And alternatively, the Alphayas and even Queen Elizabeth were painted in a much less favorable light, which I was surprised by and not expecting. Um, you know, we don't we don't know how accurate all the behind the scenes stuff is. And and so we I don't really know what led them to portray the characters in the way that they did, but um you know, it did also leave me questioning the relationship between Diana and Dodie and the intentions of, of Dodie and his father. And, you know, they, they made it out, like you said, they were going to be engaged and they really weren't together very long. It seemed more of like a summer fling in reality. So I don't know, again, you know, we just don't know behind the scenes stuff or, or what led them to, to do that. But One thing I did want to mention are the ghost scenes. I had that written down as well. So speaking of these ghost scenes, and especially the one where Diana appears to Charles, um, you know, and and even the queen, I feel like everyone watching the episode is viewing this as Diana's ghost shows up and has a conversation with them. And that's probably what they intended. But that's not actually how I watched the episode. When I saw the scene, I imagined it more as a vision that Charles and the queen were having. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I saw it more as she didn't actually appear in ghost form, but rather Charles was sitting there alone, imagining her there and what he wanted to hear from her or the conversation that they would have if she were there to give him some sort of peace. And, And the same with the queen, you know, after that, scene after she in my mind imagined a conversation she responded based on what she felt from that and again I think the intent of the writers was for it to be a ghost scene but that's just not how I saw it I saw it more as they were imagining 
if she were there, how a conversation would go. Yeah. So. It wasn't like kitschy or weird or like she was like no Casper the ghost or something like that. Like it was it was interesting and it wasn't as offensive as everyone it, made it out to be. I, it I felt more like the conversation was there to revisit topics that were left on the table and yeah, needed. yeah. And yeah. and that's why I thought you to myself, you know, I could see Charles sitting there having this vision or imagining what he would like to be said after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was my, those were my big takeaways from it. Um, I, to your point, I'm excited to see the next, the next few that are going to come out in a couple weeks. Yeah. And we'll talk about that when that happens. But speaking of Diana, it seems everyone is kind of striking while the fire is hot or the iron is hot, whatever the phrase is with Diana fever post season six of the crowner, I guess the season's not over, but Diana's storyline is over. So the pink blouse that Diana wore for her engagement portrait is up for auction. This is a blouse, by the way. It is projected to net $100,000. It is a pink blouse. It's not even a gown. It's a blouse. Mm-hmm. Fun fact about this blouse, listeners, it was actually designed. So this is her engagement portrait in February, I believe of 1981. And it ran in Vogue and the blouse is pink and it's just, it's a cute, it's actually cute. And it was designed by David and Elizabeth Emanuel, who of course you listeners will recognize as the same designers behind her wedding gown. So the auction begins next month. And, uh, I know the answer to this because I know you, but would you pay a hundred thousand dollars for a blouse? Even it was, even if it was princess Diana's. No, I mean, I can't imagine paying $100,000 for any piece of clothing. And it's wild to me that someone out there likely will. I mean, would you? No, absolutely (laughs) not. I have a thousand other places I could put that money than that. I mean, and this, this blouse was on display at Kensington Palace for, I think, two years. And it's a nice blouse, but you're never going to wear it. What are you going to do with it? You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, I mean, yeah, if you have friends that love Princess Diana, they'll come over and ooh and ah over it for like five minutes, but it's not worth a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, no, no piece of clothing is and even one that I would wear, which of course I would never wear that blouse. So anyway, I just, a lot of Diana's things are coming up for auction, whether it's her letters or gowns or whatever blouses, the sheep sweater. And I just am like, man, it just everything with Diana, Diana has been gone for 26 years and she is still incredibly profitable. It's just wild to me. Okay, so in Royals Around the World, we've got a couple of updates, but first we are going to jump into a really cute story that I had to put in there. So Queen Maxima of the Netherlands has adopted three little hedgehogs at one of the royal residences in The Hague. (laughs) Did you see this story, Rachel? No, but I'm looking at this cute little picture. So apparently the hotter than usual summer months created an environment that was really difficult for hedgehogs to find normal food sources. So I think they normally eat things like worms. And when it's really hot outside, worms go really deep into the ground where they can't be easily found or removed for food. So the queen has taken in three hedgehogs and she released them live into the, yeah, she released them in the gardens of the royal palace to live where they'll have the right climate and enough food to live a healthy life. And she even took a photo with one of them and shared it on Instagram. And it was 
so cute. She's got little gloves on and she's holding this adorable little hedgehog. That is a really, really cute picture. So if you didn't see the photo that we shared of Maxima on Instagram with the little hedgehog, go check it out. I posted it on our feed today. And while we're talking about Queen Maxima, I shared another photo on our feed of her. So she went from forest to fashion after she saved the hedgehogs. She jetted off to Paris where she attended the Sculpting the Senses exhibition by Dutch fashion designer Iris Van Herpen at the Musée des <laughs> <laughs> Musée des Sorry, Art. Sorry, this is just like such a 180. Like if you see the picture, this couldn't be like more de- you just never know what you're going to stumble on as a that's why I said she went to from forest to fashion that's pretty cute that's so cute. she was at this exhibition alongside Bridget McCrone the president's wife and Maxima's dress that she had on was really beautiful it was a dress by Iris Van Herpen and I included it in our notes but it's yeah. also on our Instagram if you want to go see it I mean it is truly it's truly a work of art it's a beautiful yeah, dress it's gorgeous wow that that is a 180 if I ever saw one right there. <laughs> Saving the hedgehogs and going to fashion shows. <laughs> that's so. what that's what queens do, right? So well, a lot the last story on royals around the world today. We have a little update out of Norway. So Crown Prince Hakan and Crown Princess Met Merit's youngest son. Fair Magnus turns 18 on December 3rd. And as a quick reminder, his older sister, Ingrid Alexandra, will one day be queen of Norway. And in honor of the prince's birthday, the king and queen are hosting a luncheon at the palace. And they'll have family. And they've also invited representatives from youth organizations, patronages, and Norwegian government officials. So happy birthday to the prince. And I don't know if we'll get photos from that event. He, you know, he's not in direct line of, of the throne. He's a few down. So it may be a more private event, but we'll look out and see. Everybody's turning 18. Everybody's I know. It's, turning it's 18. the year of 18th birthdays. I guess. God, I don't want to be 18 again, but I'm not sure I want to be 37, <laughs> but I don't want to be 18. If I would only, uh, no, I don't want to do it all again. I'm okay. I'm okay where I'm at. But anyway, okay. So to close this episode, I said last week that it was the last Royals around the world factoid of the week. And I was wrong. It's actually the first time in my life I've ever been wrong. Total sarcasm. Um, it's like the 15th time today I've been wrong. So um, this really is the last Royals around the world factoid of the week. So the segment is over after this. We just wanted to like emotionally prepare you for being it being gone, but it really is going to be gone after this episode. So the final, final Royals around the world factoid of the week takes us to Luxembourg. So Okay, I, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's Henri. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote Henri here. The Grand Duke of Luxembourg is married to Maria Theresa. They have five children, including the heir Guillaume. So I want to make mention of their second son, Felix's wedding to Claire. Do you know about this wedding? Because I feel like I've pointed this out to you. This is one of the most beautiful royal weddings of all time, in my opinion. That If you don't, like the dress, Claire is the most beautiful bride. And I do I know, think we have talked about this before. We have. It's been a while, but I mean, it's been, it might've even been years, but their wedding is stunning and worth, worth a look on Instagram. If, if you are not familiar listeners. So I know we've also talked about his third son, Louis's marriage to Tessie Anthony, 
Um, that was a little bit controversial at times. And we've been on the air for a long time. We're like in our, we're in our fourth year. So we've covered some ground, but anyway, I digress. The factoid I wanted to share is that in addition to being Grand Duke, Henri's net worth is $4 billion. I mean, again, like we know that the British Royal family is wealthy. We just said last week that the Duchy of Cornwall is, I think we said $1.3 billion, but that's a lot of money. And he has been on the throne since October 7th of 2000. And before we really close this segment forever, I'm going to throw in our very final, very, very final Royals Around the World Factoid of the Week, Liechtenstein. Hans Adam has been on the throne since 1989. He was married to Marie Kinski, who died in 2021. And actually, she was his second cousin once removed. So could not forget Luxembourg and Liechtenstein, mostly because I wanted to think about Felix and Claire's wedding again. So that really (laughs) is it. So um, we will find something else to talk about in the coming weeks. Well, we got a lot in. We, as you said, we had a light news week this week, but I think we had some fun topics this week to talk about. Absolutely. We saw, we made the, we made the most of it. We did. Send us your pictures of Christmas crackers. If you go out and get any, definitely do that. And um, Rachel, do you want to close this out? Yeah, sure. So I haven't, I haven't closed this out in a while. So you know where to find us on Instagram. I'm on a social media detox. That's all Jessica and she is amazing with it. We are at Podcast Royal. If you have questions or thoughts to share, you know, you can always DM us there. Sometimes I'll pop in and answer a DM here or there. Um, but I am also on the email account at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com if you ever want to reach out. So that's that for episode 116 of Podcast Royal. We are not on next week, so we'll see you, I guess, in two weeks. And until then, have a great week. Have a great two weeks, actually. Bye. Bye.